Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Well, hello, everyone. We are posting our podcast, the Ask Christopher West Show, hosted by... Wendy West, here I am. The lovely Wendy West. <laughs> we are posting it on our YouTube channel. We like to cross-pollinate every once in a while. If you are watching on YouTube and you don't know about our podcast, check out the Ask Christopher West podcast. You can find the link in the description. If you are listening to our podcast on the typical podcast format and you don't know that we're on YouTube, then go to Theology of the Body Institute right. YouTube channel and check us out there. We are recording this one for video. <laughs> <laughs> there we are. And it is... Holy Week. It's the start of Holy Week. Yeah. Did you know that in the Eastern Church they call this the Week of the Bridegroom? I didn't. Isn't that cool? Yeah. The Week of the Bridegroom. This is the week that the marriage of the Lamb is consummated. Mm. I did a talk. People might want to check this out. Uh, maybe five or six years ago on Facebook Live, but it's posted now on our YouTube channel mm -hmm. called a reflection or a meditation on the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus like you've never heard it before. We'll have the link in the description and in the show notes for the podcast listeners. Um, I, I, I riffed on this understanding that I had never had prior to giving that talk, that I heard that nard, the smell of nard, like Jesus has, it starts Holy Week with that nard getting poured on his head. Mm. The woman who cracks open the jar and he, she pours the nard on his head. Some yeah. accounts say his feet. I like the one that says his head because I can just picture it dripping down his whole head. But if you put just a drop of nard like on a little bit of your skin, it'll smell for days and it's hard to wash off. He had a whole quart or whatever, a pint, I don't know, a large amount of this yeah. very, very um, fragrant, potently yes. fragrant perfume, nard, poured on his head. This means he smelled like it, he smelled like that nard throughout mm. all of Holy Week, throughout the, uh, you know, the coming in on the, the donkey, the uh, the preaching in the temple, the, the whole reality of the Last Supper. I mean, everybody in the upper room would have been smelling him smelling of nard. Mm. Even those who scourged him would have been smelling him, mm -hmm. smelling of, of nard, the, those who crucified him. Well, what's the significance of that? You may not know that at the very center of the Song of Songs, which, by the way, the Song of Songs is in the center of the Bible, and in the very center of the Song of Songs is the word nard twice. So if you do a word count of the, the original Hebrew of the Song of Songs, Word count of the Song of Songs, right in the middle of the Song of Songs, word count-wise, is right between nard and nard. That's the middle of the Song of Songs. And the significance of this is the bride opening to the bridegroom. So that bride, that woman who poured out that nard on Jesus, is a symbol of the church opening herself mm. to the bridegroom at the beginning of the week of the bridegroom. Mm-hmm. We, we can sometimes be afraid to open those places in our hearts that are... We, we might think, well, yeah, that nard smells great, but if I open my heart to the Lord, 
it smelled pretty foul. Um, maybe even like death, which reminds me of the reading from last week on the raising of Lazarus. Lazarus, right? right. Uh, oh, no, no, don't remove the stone, right? There'll be a stench. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's some stinky stink in our hearts as well. But the Lord sees and smells, if you will, the contents of our hearts already through the lens. Well, lens doesn't really work for your nostrils, does it? But whatever, you know what I'm getting. (laughs) I'm mixing my metaphors, my senses. But Christ already smells us through the mystery of what he's done for us on the cross. So it may smell like sewage to us, but it smells like so much glorious nard to Jesus when we open our hearts and pour them out. Well, it's it's something awesome to think of him having that smell, experiencing, smelling this ointment or nard poured out upon him, how that affected his own heart as he was experiencing all he did in Holy Week as well. It speaks to us and the thought of those who were around him, but he also was experiencing that and, uh, you know, whether that was a deep, like, consolation to him, a sign of just orientation toward the love and the joy set before him that enabled him to endure the cross. It's it's beautiful to think about. Yeah, and there's another fascinating thing I heard, and then we'll get on, um, from a Jewish scholar, that there is always somebody chanting the Old Testament in the temple, and there was a schedule for how they chanted the Old mm-hmm. Testament in the temple. And right at the time Christ was being crucified, guess what was being chanted in the temple? Song of Songs. Yes, the Song of Songs. Wow. It's the consummation of the marriage mm. of the Lamb. Awesome. Yeah. Anyway. So there's more on this topic on the video that's you right. referenced. There is. If you want to go earlier. for a deeper dive, check out that video. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Do you have any updates for us on the TOV Institute work? I do. We have some exciting online and in-person courses coming up. We have a TOB1 online. Uh, check out the link. We have TOB1 in person in Wisconsin. We take this on the road every couple years. Oh, yes. And outside of Milwaukee, we're going to be offering at the end of May into the first week of June. I'm going to be co-teaching that with Bill Dunahy, which is fun. I'll do the first few days. He'll do the final yeah. few days. So both TOB1 teachers will be contributing Correct. to this course, and all the Milwaukee, Wisconsin people can come together. That'll be wonderful. Yeah. And then we have my favorite course to teach is Theology of the Body and the Marian Mystery. That's going to be at the end of June here at Black Rock Retreat in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And then we have another TOB1 in July here at Black Rock Retreat. Mm-hmm. I'll be co-teaching that with Jeanette Clark. And then at the end of July, early August, we have Theology of the Body and Spiritual Direction with Father Boniface Hicks, dear Thanks. friend of the Institute. That's yeah. going to be rich. If any of that is of interest, please check out the links. And uh, one thing I'll add, um, maybe especially our YouTube audience might not be as familiar, check out the link for this. If you are new to the fact that we're teaching courses here at the Theology Body Institute and you want to dip your toe in, check out the link, tobforfree.com, and you can register. We will send you three free sessions of our Theology Body Level 1 course, so you can just see for yourself if it's something you want to dive more deeply into. 
Sounds great. Yeah. And I'm, I have some questions for you today. Typical podcast style. First one is from one of our patrons. Let's do it. This is from a patron named Andrea. Hello, Andrea. Thank you, Andrea, for all your support. So grateful to you. Hi, Wendy and Christopher. I'm a faithful listener to your podcast, and it's been a blessing to learn through both of you about TOB. I'm the youngest daughter of a mixed marriage. My dad is a Jew, and my mom is Catholic. Because of this, our father's family rejected us without, mm. without even getting to know my sisters and me. Later on, my father cheated on my mom, and ever since, he's been an emotionally absent father. As a consequence, I have realized I have an abandonment and a rejection wound, which has led me sometimes to be away from God. I also avoid praying because I don't feel listened to. I've been studying about TOB for about a year and a half, and even though I know God loves me, and I agree with everything John Paul II said in his catechesis, I don't feel loved by my family or by God. How can I live and apply to my life everything I'm learning from Theology of the Body? Wow. Bless you, Andrea. I just want to pause with reverence for your wounds, Andrea. These things, these things go so deep. A father wound is a very, very deep wound. Uh, it's something so much of the modern world suffers from. In fact, we all suffer from a father wound in one way or another. The father wound is really the wound of original sin itself. Mm. I remember one of my favorite quotes from JP2. It's not from the theology of the body itself, although it's very pertinent to the subject of theology of the body. He says, this is from his book, Crossing the Threshold of Hope. Mm -hmm. He says, this is truly the key for interpreting reality. Okay, this sounds like it's important. The key for interpreting reality. Then he says, Original sin attempts to abolish fatherhood. Original sin attempts to abolish fatherhood. Mm. Good news, it's only an attempt. Mm -hmm. It cannot abolish fatherhood because the foundation of the universe is the fatherhood of God. The foundation of existence itself is the fatherhood of God. The attack against God's fatherhood is manifested in the twisting and distortion of human fatherhood. And this is where the wound comes from. And I think this is where Andrea, uh, she didn't connect these dots directly, but maybe a little more indirectly she did. I'd like to connect them a little more directly that she's struggling in a relationship with God, mm -hmm. the Father, because of this father wound with her human father. Yes. And so often, very understandable, we go the wrong direction here with fatherhood, meaning we project onto God the experience of our human fathers. It's very understandable that we do that. We project onto God the Father our experience of human fatherhood. And if you've had a distant father, if you've had a father who abandoned the family, or as Andrea has expressed, he was emotionally distant, he was unfaithful to his mother, these wounds go very deep. 
and then we get mad at God because we're 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 taking my experience of earthly fatherhood and I'm projecting it onto God the Father. Whereas the real solution to the pain is not to distance ourselves from God the Father, but to allow God's fatherhood to shine its light on our earthly fathers so that we can see the failings of our earthly fathers in light of who God really is and in light of his tender mercy. Mm-hmm. The, the healing of the father wound can never be by distancing ourselves from God the Father. That's the healing of our father wound. And here we are in Holy Week, which is the definitive revelation on the cross and in the resurrection of the fatherhood of God. It's like all these wrong impressions we have of God the Father. Christ in his very body, right? Theology of the body. What does Jesus say? He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Father, right? His body, his masculine body, given up for us on the cross, is the definitive declaration in the flesh of who God the Father is. You don't believe God loves you? Let me show you with my body how much God loves you. Uh, You think God the Father has abandoned you? I will enter into that very feeling of being abandoned with you. What does he say from the cross? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I will enter with you into the hell of that feeling of being abandoned by God to demonstrate to you that God is with you in the feeling of abandonment. It's an astonishing thing to enter into that prayer, my God, my God, why have Mm. you abandoned me? Because here we have God himself feeling abandoned by God himself. Which means if, if Christ is with us in our, in, if, and Christ is God, if Christ is God and Christ is with us in our, feel, in our feeling of abandonment, then we're not abandoned by God, even in our feeling of being abandoned. Yeah. And uh, could you reread what Andrea said? She said, I know, she said something like, I know God loves me, but I don't feel it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, basically that, yes. Mm-hmm. So what, what do we do with that? I, I have learned this, I think it was St. Therese I learned this from, mm-hmm. where she would make what she called, not she's the only one to s- describe it this way, but acts of faith, A-C-T-S, acts of faith. She went through a time of feeling profoundly abandoned by God. And she would, I, I just had this image of her like planting a flag, like mm-hmm. boom, I'm going to make an act of faith. Mm-hmm. I don't feel God's closeness. My emotions are not in line with what I know to be true, but I'm, I'm planting my flag. I'm making an act of faith that God loves me, whether I feel it or not. And all of us as human beings go through these times of not feeling God's closeness and, in fact, feeling something opposite to yeah. God's closeness. Christ felt this on the cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? There is a a profound paradox in our faith here that in the very times we feel most abandoned, we are are most profoundly united with the crucified Christ. 
And I know it's it's so familiar to so many Catholics and Christians that it's kind of become, I don't know, a little cheesy. But if we can set any cheese factor aside, that poem is still so profound. Footprints, mm-hmm. right? Footprints in the sand. How, how, how yeah, does it go? I, I don't have it memorized. Yeah, but, but, the, but the gist of it. You'll... The gist of it is a person has a, a dream where they're walking on the beach with the Lord and seeing scenes from his or her life as walking with the Lord and seeing how there's the two sets of footprints in the sand and seeing different parts of his or her life. And then painful parts, very difficult parts of the life are shown and suddenly there's only one set of footprints in the sand. And the, the person seeing this or having this dream thinks the Lord has abandoned him at that time. And the Lord then speaks in the dream and says, no, when you see one set of footprints, that's when I carried you. Right, right, right. I remember reading that poem. It was on our bathroom wall Mm -hmm. in our powder room in our home growing up, my home growing up. And uh, I remember, you know, I'm what, seven years old or something Mm -hmm. when I first read it. And it got in there. It, It I didn't. I didn't quite have the maturity and perspective on life to to know how meaningful it was, but it it got in there, and I I have come to that in times of feeling really uh, abandoned. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you have to make an act of faith. The Lord is with me in these times. Um, I would invite you, Andrea, to to pray into the Passion account um, in the Gospels this week. You know, it's the week of the Passion. Uh, we just celebrated Passion Sunday, and I'd invite you especially to spend some time in prayer with that line, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And in those words, those who have seen me have seen the Father. Um, all of that is part part of the readings this week. Wendy, what are your thoughts for Andrea. Yeah, I just want to add to that um, the sense that in your journey, Andrea, um, one of the things you're, the Lord is going to make possible for you is going to be a, a forgiveness of your father and of his family. Yes, yes, yes. Because those are two very painful realities. In, we know instinctively that the people we are related to our family of origin are are meant to be the ones that receive us with joy and unconditional love. And when we haven't experienced that, and to some degree, none of us experience it perfectly, but there's a dramatic, you know, this withdrawal of contact from uh, your father's family obviously is a deep, dramatic, you know, not experiencing that you are received as a beautiful gift and loved. That's the opposite of, it It seems like the opposite of that. We don't understand or know for sure what motivated their behavior, but that's how it has impacted the family. So I know that we can, this is another one of those things we can know in our minds, okay, I, you know, I'm going to need to forgive these people and that can seem impossible. And so that's why I said at the beginning, the Lord is going to lead you in into that, in your journey with him. And sometimes the way to start that 
aspect of our journey, if, if the wounds are coming up and making it more clear that that is kind of important right now, is, Lord, give me the desire or, or give me the desire to desire to forgive, like if we're that far away from wanting to do it. Um, but I do believe that also meditating on the passion in which Christ bore the sins of all humanity, um, including the sins of your father and his unfaithfulness and his family towards you, all of that um, is a, certainly a fruitful time or a fruitful meditation to take steps on that journey. And that um, ability to release those who have hurt us, to acknowledge the pain and to uh, release them to the Lord um, that comes with forgiveness really does open up a whole new possibility of being much more filled mm-hmm. with that love that our hearts truly need. And and we have, I do believe we have two families of origin. I don't just mean because of two parents. I mean, we have a natural family of origin and we have a heavenly family Amen. of origin. And, and when we talk about theology of the body, we're certainly making those parallels, seeing those natural human relationships at, and how they relate to our spiritual lives, our true destiny. And so all of that um, reflection in theology of the body can become that much more rich when we're not kind of stopping at the pain in the natural family of origin and therefore unable to experience the blessing of the heavenly family of origin. I, I have another line from the Passion account that's just speaking to me, and I think, Andrea, I think will speak to you too, in light of what you're sharing, Wendy. Mm-hmm. The Father, forgive them. They, they know not what they do. Mm-hmm. And we often focus in on the forgive them, they know not what they do part for obvious reasons, but what really is leaping out to me right now is, Father, mm-hmm. forgive them. They know not what they do. What a profound window into Christ's relationship with the Father that he's entrusting these people who are wounding him so terribly, killing him. Mm. He's giving them to his Father. There's, there's. I can't quite put my finger on it nor put words to it, but I, I'm sensing this is a window into Christ's profound intimacy with the Father. And that intimacy, which it seems he's feeling at that moment, Father, forgive them, you know, three hours later, he's going to say, why, why, why have you abandoned me? There's something in those bookends at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the crucifixion and at the Mm -hmm. the end that, I don't know, Andrea, I I just invite you to to pray into that. I think maybe there's some some spiritual riches there for you to discover. Mm -hmm. Please, Andrea, know we will be praying for you this Holy Week. Ready for our next question? Yeah. This is from Alexander. Hello, Alexander. Thanks for your question. As a faithful Catholic, I often try to reconcile things that seem like apparent contradictions in our theological tradition. Therefore, it goes against my beliefs to say that a past age of the church was completely wrong about something. 
With this in mind, I was wondering what Theology of the Body has to say about the claim that the soul is more important than the body, or that heavenly or invisible things are better than earthly or visible things. I encountered this often in older Catholic devotional material. It would be easy to brush off one or two occurrences, but it seems to be the universal view of the church up until the middle of the 20th century. And I have trouble thinking that people could be completely wrong before this. Is there a way these views and John Paul II's TOB could be reconciled? Thanks for your time. I look forward to your response. Alexander, this is a fun question for me to address, and I will agree with you. There are some devotions, there are some things that saints have said, uh, there have, yeah, that can leave this impression that the, the body is somehow unimportant, uh, physical world unimportant. What we're really looking for is the spiritual world. And we have to be careful here on a, on a few counts. One is we're often reading our own modern understanding of words and ideas back into uh, previous sure. eras, mm-hmm. e- pre- previous times. Peter Kraft talks about this. He says, um, we, we're, we're in the modern world, we're wearing Cartesian lenses. And, and it says it's impossible to understand ancient writers while we're wearing these Cartesian lenses because we're going to be reading into, what does he mean by Cartesian lenses? I'll, I'll share that in a minute. But we're going to be, if we're wearing these lenses, we're going to be inevitably reading our own modern ideas back into ancient authors that didn't have these lenses and weren't thinking that way. Cartesian lenses, Rene Descartes, I think, therefore I am, he inaugurated in the modern world this rupture between the spiritual and the physical. I think, therefore, I am posited human human identity in thought. The body became something we thought about, but we no longer identified ourselves with. Um, that's not how the biblical authors, for example, thought of the world. So, for example, when we read in St. Paul, live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. The Spirit leads to life, the flesh leads to death. If we're reading that with Cartesian lenses on, we're going to think Paul is saying only spiritual things count, the body doesn't matter at all. Boom, out of, out of here, let's be, live a spiritual, a spiritual life divorced from the body. That would be a Cartesian reading of a Pauline text when Paul did not mean that at all. In fact, Paul himself says living by the Spirit does not mean rejecting the body. Living by the Spirit means opening our bodies to the indwelling of the Spirit. Uh, Because if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, then that same Spirit will give life to our mortal bodies also. So we, we need to hold together Spirit and body. This is what a human being is. Um, and it, yes, even so, you can still read in some otherwise holy people and insightful people ideas that tend towards or seem to tend towards a ruptured view. Uh, we just have to return to our basic principle of our faith, which is not new. And I want to maybe just add a corrective for Alexander's idea that 
he said something like, it seems like this more T.O.B. view or more incarnational view kind of came to us in the 20th century. He's, does he say something about what Well, I think he's commenting on how common that phrasing of the soul is more important or heavenly things are better it yeah. was common till the mid-20th century. Yes, well, let's, let's look at what is true about that perspective. Yeah, I think that would be good. Yeah, so guess what? Heavenly things are better than earthly things. But here's the mystery. Uh, the mystery is that earthly things, including the human body itself, especially the human body itself, the human body, Christ wed himself to a human body, and he raised that earthly thing, that earthly reality, the human body, to heavenly heights. It's called the ascension, right? And we know our bodies are also meant to participate in that heavenly reality because of the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mm -hmm. She was the first human person, right? Christ is a divine person wed to a human nature, right? But Mary is the first human person to participate bodily in that heavenly glory, right? So heaven and earth have been wed. Mm. This is our faith. The way we reach heaven is not by fleeing earth. The way we reach the spiritual truth of the divinity is not by divorcing ourselves from our bodies. Uh, if, if we're trying to reach God by, by divorcing ourselves from our bodies, we can make no sense of a God who sought to reach us by wedding himself to our bodies. This is our faith. It is faith in the Word made flesh. And it wasn't just 2,000 years ago that, that God wed himself to human flesh. The proclamation of the gospel is that God is now forever wed to the flesh. There is a human body, a male and a female body, right now participating in the heavenly mystery. Right, And the catechism... A uh, uh, section on the Our Father, where it's talking about uh, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, says that that prayer is answered in the womb of Mary. Hmm. Because what happened in the womb of Mary is heaven was wed to earth in the womb of Mary. The petition of the Our Father, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is fulfilled in Mary's womb. Why? What is God's will in heaven? Who, who and what is God, heavenly speaking? God, from all eternity, is a father generating his son to share with his son the love of the Holy Spirit. God is the heavenly reality is the Trinity, and the Trinity is the eternal generation of the Son, so that Father and Son may share the love of the Holy Spirit. What happened in Mary's womb? The, re the eternal heavenly reality of the generation of the Son came to earth, and that generation took place in time, bodily, in the womb of Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. Heaven came to earth in Mary's womb. Mary's womb is the, is St. Augustine says, Mary's womb is the bridal chamber where the marriage of heaven and earth was consummated. This is our faith. And it's not just uh, something that 
John Paul II discovered, right? This, this is our faith from the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and was in God, and that Word was made flesh. This is our faith. It is an incarnational faith. The church has had to resist over and over and over and over again a tendency that has crept in, and if we are not careful, will creep in to our thinking or already has and we need to cast it out, which is the anti-Christ spirit that denies Christ come in the flesh. Test the spirits, St. John says. Test the spirits. How do we know the difference between the Holy Spirit and the unholy spirit? The Holy Spirit always moves in the direction of incarnation. Always. How will this happen to me? I know not man, Mary says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit, his, the greatest work of the Holy Spirit is the incarnation. It's the incarnation of Christ in the womb of the Blessed Virgin. This is the way he moves, mm. right? This is the direction he goes in. The unholy spirit goes in the opposite direction. He's trying to rupture the word from the flesh. He's trying to rupture the spiritual and the physical. So any of our thinking that is rupturing the spiritual and the physical, any of those truths, heaven is better than earth, right? And there, it, the catechism says that it is most especially in our spiritual soul that we image God, right? Most especially. But the body also shares in the dignity of the image of God. There is a priority to the spiritual over the physical, but it does not mean priority over does not mean denigration of, right? The priority over is the invitation for the flesh to open to the Holy Spirit so that the flesh itself might be taken up into mm -hmm. the heavenly reality. And that's exactly what the Annunciation is. Mary is the mouthpiece of the whole physical universe who opens to the Holy Spirit, to the penetration of the Holy Spirit into her womb as a representative of the whole physical universe so that the heavenly and the earthly can be wed, right? In this wedding, in this marriage, the divinity, the spiritual, the heavenly has priority but that priority is a gift of love to wed itself to that which is lower, to that which is earthly, not to degrade, but to elevate, to assume up into heavenly glory. This is our faith. This is Catholicism. This is the implication of the Word made flesh. This is the reality of the incarnation. This is the reality we call theology of the body. Test every saint and what he or she says, test every devotion. If it is in any way taking you into a ruptured view of heaven and earth, into a ruptured view of body and soul, into a ruptured view of divinity and humanity, spiritual and physical, you know where that comes from. It doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the unholy spirit who denies Christ come in the flesh. That's our faith. Something that I can um, bring in to this is that I've I think I've shared with our listeners that I've been listening to the Bible in a Year podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm in the Old Testament, and I'm seeing how this journey of the Israelites is so impacted by their tendency to worship 
idols. idols. And how much that theme just comes again and again and again, how tempted they are, how weak they are, how they will go to these all kinds of idols from Egypt, from ones they make themselves, from every people that they encounter, and how painful that part of their history is. So I'm hearing what you're saying and what um, what Alexander has asked, and I'm thinking of that that when we read in devotions about um, the soul's more important or invisible things are better, I'm hearing a certain cry of the Lord's heart that we not idolize anything on this earth. Yes, yes, yes. That, that we recognize the gift of this earth is to lead us to Amen. Him. Amen. And that, that that tendency that was in the Israelites in a certain form— you know, in ancient history is still, still in, in us. us. We are also yep. fallen human beings. And in those devotions, when we're praying or being called to recognize like heavenly things are better, it, it's speaking to that place in our hearts that wants to make uh, something pleasurable on this earth right, right. the best. The best, right. The the ultimate. It's right. not, you know, right. and so that that for me to read something like that in a devotion is like the Lord saying, look beyond, look, don't reject, but let it carry you where yes, it's meant yes. to take you closer to my heart. Amen. You're putting your finger right on it, my love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm reminded of JP2's thesis statement itself, mm-hmm. which acknowledges the truthfulness, the invisible is better because God is invisible. Mm-hmm. And God is... God is the, the ultimate, best. God's the best. <laughs> yes. Love it. <laughs> what movie is that from? Um, yeah, God is the ultimate. He is, and He is pure spirit. And yet, the God who is pure spirit took flesh. So we have this thesis statement from JP2. The body, and only the body, is capable of making visible what is invisible the spiritual, and the divine. Right? It was created by God to transfer into the visible reality of the world the invisible mystery hidden from eternity in God and thus to be a sign of it. And that's back to your point. It's a sign. Yeah. It's an icon. It points. It reveals this ultimate spiritual divine reality, which is infinitely superior to created reality, to the physical reality. But his love for this physical reality he created is such that he wanted to enter it, wed himself to it, to raise it up to participate in that divine reality. This is our faith. Anything that contradicts that, you can can just toss aside. In fact, don't just toss aside, rebuke it because it comes from the Antichrist, right? Our faith is one of the marriage of heaven and earth. And here we are celebrating its consummation in the week of the bridegroom. Amen. Ready for our next yeah, question? Yeah, that was that Alexander, good on you, brother. I'm so glad you brought that up. That brought out some juicy business. It sure did. <laughs> uh, this is from a listener named Juliana. Hello, Juliana. Hi, Christopher and Wendy. First of all, I just want to thank you so much for for this podcast. You are welcome. It quenches my spiritual thirst for theology every Monday. Oh, that's awesome. Christopher, 
My boyfriend Joe and I met you recently at a Made for More event in Greenwich, Connecticut. All righty. It was a pleasure meeting you and shaking your hand, as well as putting the face to the voice I listen to oh. as I'm driving in the car, working out, or washing my belly button in the shower, <laughs> as I wonder, where did I come from? <laughs> for those of you who don't get the inside joke, you're going to have to attend a Made for More event exactly. sometime. <laughs> and we'll put our little tour schedule in the in the notes here. <laughs> We're prayerfully discussing coming to a Live Theology of the Body course in Pennsylvania this summer as well. Discovering this podcast has caused our relationship to grow deeper in spiritual intimacy. It is such a blessing. My question is, for a soon-to-be-engaged couple, what advice or wisdom would you give as we're about to enter this new chapter of life? Mm. We both have a past of sexual sin and pornography, but thanks be to God, with the sacrament of reconciliation, prayer, and speaking with our priest, we've made leaps and bounds of progress, both separately and together. It seemed as if God brought us together to overcome these painful beautiful. wounds. Wow. The process has been challenging, but beautiful. How do you recommend we navigate this new phase of life before marriage? Mm, it's Joe and... Juliana. Joe and Juliana. Bless you guys. I, I hear just the courage of your hearts. I hear your deep faith. I hear your deep love for each other. Mm. Uh, you are, you guys are already on the path. I, I can certainly give you some words of encouragement. And first of all, I just want to say, keep going. You're mm -hmm. on it. And the Lord is going to bring to completion the work He's already begun in you. So have confidence in that. Have trust in that. Have faith in that. I absolutely would recommend strongly encourage you mm. please come to a tob course here at the institute and once you dip your foot in there maybe you're going to want to jump in the whole pool and keep studying with us uh, that would be a way you could just continue that journey i do want to speak specifically into the impact of pornography um, both you and i were exposed to pornography mm. in our lives uh, I was exposed maybe more than you were, but you had mm -hmm. your own dose of it. Um, and this was long before the internet, and mm -hmm. I can only imagine what young people are facing now. Mm -hmm. um, we were just talking about, right, the Holy Spirit and the unholy spirit and how you tell the difference, right? Um, pornography is death-dealing precisely because it's moving in this direction of rupturing the spiritual and the physical, right? Pornography is death-dealing because it, it, it treats the body as something divorced from the spiritual dignity of the person. Uh, true art, for example, the, the nakedness in the Sistine Chapel is life-giving because it's portraying the naked body in such a way that it integrates the body and the soul. So we, we overcome evil with good, right? And the problem with pornography, the evil of pornography, is not that it shows naked bodies. I've said this probably a hundred times on this mm -hmm. podcast before. The problem with pornography, pornography is not that it shows naked bodies. The Sistine Chapel shows naked bodies. Mm -hmm. The problem is the manner in which it shows the naked body. It gives us a very diseased image and understanding of the body as a thing for one's sexual 
selfish sexual gratification. When we've been trained to think in that way, we need to be untrained. Mm -hmm. We need to be, when we have been diseased, right? Disease, pick apart the word disease, disease, right? Pornography is a disease with the human body. And we have these diseased images in our minds, in our hearts. We need to be put at ease. We need to be redeemed. We need mm-hmm. to be healed from this toxic uh, understanding of our bodies. And I had not, uh, you know the story, of course, Wendy, because you lived it with me. Um, I had not been exposed to pornography. It had probably been five or seven years. I had not been exposed to it from from when you and I got married or prior to when you and I got married, and it had been even longer than that for you. And yet there were still these, 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 the images are in there. And I'm sure I've told this story also on the podcast before, but it was three weeks before we got married, and I was praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament specifically about our wedding night. I wanted to be a sincere gift to you. And I was getting bombarded by these diseased images from the porn I had exposed myself to. And it was reckoning day, and I really felt I heard the Lord say, okay, give me these lies, and I will show you the truth that you were looking for. And one by one, I surrendered the, the diseased images that were still ingrained in my mind, surrendered them to the Blessed Sacrament. And it took a long time, maybe an hour, maybe two hours, I don't remember, it was a long time. But as I surrendered the final image, that diseased image, an image of such peace and ease, right? Disease, ease, uh, the healing, the redeeming of, of images, overcoming evil with good. The good, the peaceful image, the holy image I saw was the Christ child at the breast of the Blessed Mother. And I heard this, this, these words spoken, this is what you've been looking for the whole time. That's an example of the healing of memories. And so I'd say to Juliana and to Joe, um, listen for the Lord's leading. I wouldn't recommend just like carte blanche to the whole world. Go get all those diseased images and, you know, put them out and give them to Jesus. Only if Jesus is inviting you to do so, right? Don't dig that stuff up if Jesus is not saying, I am with you. I will bring them to your mind, and I want you to give them to me. If the Lord is leading you, right? Not if Christopher West is leading you, but if the Lord is leading you, absolutely do it. But but don't go poking into that catalog of memories without the Lord, because it could just get you into all kinds of, of more trouble. But the Lord in his way, the Lord in his time, between here and the beatific vision, all of those diseased ideas and images need to come up and out and be healed. And, and that is a real grace of the death and resurrection of Jesus in our lives, to have those diseased images healed. So I would encourage Juliana and Joe, uh, it sounds like they're didn't they talk about maybe some spiritual director they're seeing or some wise counsel? Talking with a priest. Yeah. Talking with a priest. I would, if you trust this priest, if he understands these kind of things and he's familiar with the healing of memories, talk to him about this and, and maybe he could even lead and guide the two of you through some prayers that could help you with the healing of those memories. Mm-hmm. I think that would be really important. Mm-hmm. And just some other general advice I would give 
they're already, I can tell they're already on this journey because they're talking at this level, sure. right? And bringing this stuff out of the open. Mm-hmm. You guys are already on a journey into the heart of really sharing what you're going through. But just a word of encouragement to, to keep getting spiritually naked with each other. The key word, spiritually, right? Spiritual nudity. <laughs> and by that, I mean an, an opening up of your hearts, uh, an exposing of what you're really feeling, what your real concerns are, what your real anxieties are, what your real hopes are, what your real dreams are, what your real wounds are. I remember when you and I were were engaged and there were things in my history, things in my heart, just memories I had, painful things that I, I remember the phone conversation we were having and my heart was beating because I was like, I know I have to share this with you. I was like, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. Aww. I could feel it in my chest. I know I have to share this with you. I know I have to share this with you. It's part of my life. Only, only I've only shared this with a priest. I haven't shared it with anybody else. I'm scared mm-hmm. to share it with you. I don't know if you're going to love me here. And I put it out to you, and and you received me so tenderly, mm-hmm. Wendy. Thank you for the way you received me. And I remember just a peace came over me, like I I can give my life to this woman. Mm-hmm. I can really give my life to this woman because you're able to receive me there. Um. Now, now again, there's there needs to be some pastoral sensitivity around this. Again, I, I don't want to just carte blanche say to everybody, plop everything right out on the table. There's a delicacy to that. There's an unfolding uh, to that. There's a uh, a taking even small steps in that direction. I can tell they've already been on this journey. Yeah. So I'm I'm suggesting based on what I know from their question that. There may still be some things in there that you 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 will need to share and put out into the light, mm-hmm. um, but again with sensitivity, uh, people are at different maturity levels. I love this line from JP two. It's from Love and Responsibility. What is required before you get married is not complete maturity. Nobody has that. <laughs> Nobody, but enough maturity to continue maturing. <laughs> Right, and it seems to me Juliana and mm. Joe have enough maturity to continue maturing. Mm-hmm. Part of that maturing is is that spiritual nakedness I'm talking about. And there's always more to reveal. You and I, Wendy, we've been married 27 years, mm-hmm. and there's still more to reveal. There will always be more to reveal. That's the that's the real adventure of of married love is getting into those deeper and deeper layers of the other person. Um, we were naked enough before we got married to know we could continue getting naked. <laughs> and that's that's what I'm talking about. Um, in, yeah. the, in the similar vein, are you mature enough to continue maturing? Are you naked enough to continue getting naked? And remember, I'm talking about spiritual nakedness here. <laughs> because the, the, the spiritual nakedness is what makes the physical nakedness of married life honest. So those are my thoughts. What are your thoughts, yeah. Wendy, for Juliana and Joe? I feel similarly encouraged, and um, I hope that our comments just um, are encouraging to you to keep going as you keep saying, Christopher. Um, I, I am especially struck by this sentence. The process has been challenging, but beautiful. Mm. I think that's what kind of really hit my heart to read that out loud, because... Um, how 
even for myself, sometimes when things are challenging, I feel like that's bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want it to be challenging. Mm-hmm. It's because challenging is also a little painful, painful, and I don't want pain. So I was so touched by reading that. It actually, kind of lifted up my own heart and encouraged me, just in recognizing that that is. Thank you, Juliana, for encouraging gift. my wife and lifting her heart. <laughs> that that is, you know that. Being in the process the Lord has us in is his gift to us. And that's where the channels of grace are open. We are drawn closer to him, closer to the person he created us to be. I think in pornography, we have so many messages about what a human being is and what a human body is and what the interaction of um, bodies should or shouldn't be, or yeah, the messages are all wrong. And so that process of um, kind of first even noticing what the messages are. And I think even if a person isn't yet called to the kind of intense prayer experience that you undertook before our, marriage, we will all experience a certain involuntary, I'm sorry, I'm saying that word wrong. Involuntary. Involuntary recollection of things that we've seen. And in those moments, we can ask the Lord, just speak truth to me. Speak truth, yeah. And that's what, that's the what happened over a very extended experience for you, but we can have that in a very... um, in the moment kind of way in our days and let the Lord speak truth. And I'm not going to tell you what he's going to say because he's the one you want to hear his voice. Amen. I would also just put this word out there. Um, You and I will recall that we had a false impression of some of those healing experiences we had in our engagement. Not that the healing was false. We had some genuine beautiful experiences of real healing mm-hmm. that we both needed yeah. during our time of engagement. But we made the mistake of thinking, yeah, now we're healed. Woo! <laughs> uh, <laughs> we underestimated how deep the wounds went. The ongoing the nature ongoing of healing. The ongoing nature of healing mm-hmm. is the word I want to speak. Mm-hmm. Just don't be surprised. Rejoice in all the stages yeah. and steps of healing. Each one is beautiful and each one is necessary, but beware of what I would call the false summits. Mm. And a false summit in mountain climbing is you're at a, a kind of angle on the mountain where you think you're about to reach the summit, but then you get up there and you're like, oh, the summit's way over there. Um, and we, we had some of those experiences. At least I can speak certainly for yes. myself. I know I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I had arrived at, at a level of healing. And I did. I, I had right. arrived at a beautiful I know, I level of healing. I can relate to that too. But there was so much more healing I needed. And there's still so much more mm-hmm. healing we need. And I take great consolation in knowing, you know, even though I was ignorant as to how much healing I needed, the Lord was not. And he's been so faithful over all these years. Like, okay, let's take another step. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's keep going. Okay, let, let's keep going. Let's keep going. There's, there's always more in this journey on, on this planet. 
There's always more. No one can ever claim, I am 100% healed. Right? Uh, this is right out of the Catechism. For all of us, that's a straight quote from the Catechism, so we can add, I don't care if you're Mother Teresa, I don't care if you're John Paul II, I don't care if you're John of the Cross or Teresa of Avila. For everyone in this life, the wheat and the weeds will grow together until the end of time. And that means no one can ever claim in this life, there are no weeds in me, I'm all wheat, I'm 100% better, I'm 100% healed from my sinful broken past, or from, guess what, the sinful continuation of my fallen humanity. It's not just those wounds in the past, we create new wounds, right, that need healing. So, as my spiritual director says, Juliana and Joe, make peace with the journey. And you're already on it. You're already off to a great start. You are already demonstrating that you are mature enough to continue maturing. And I have full confidence the Lord's going to bring to completion the work he's begun in you. So that's my thought for them. Love it. Yeah. Hey, if you are blessed by the work that we are doing here at the Theology of the Body Institute, would you click the link to learn more about becoming a patron Mm. of the Theology of the Body Institute. Our patrons enable us to do this work, and we couldn't do it without them, seriously. Uh, we're so grateful to all of our patrons for your monthly support. You can start at a minimum of $10 a month, and our patrons get all kinds of awesome benefits. They get ongoing formation from the Theology of the Body Institute. We have retreats. We have a Made for More event that's been recorded that we share with our patrons. We have programs for teens and parents, and we're always adding to the catalog of what we're doing for our patrons, so please check that out and learn more. We'd be so grateful to you. And yes. until next time, may you know it in your bones that you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, and unrepeatable gift of life and love. Become what you are. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.